Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast. I'm your host, Francesca Spector, and this show is all about your longest and most important relationship, the one you have with yourself. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing your time alone, regardless of your romantic status. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. I am so excited to introduce you to this week's guest, scientist Dr. Michelle Dickinson. I don't know if I'm ready to go out to the real world anymore. I am. I, I'm in my space. This is how I would be happy every single day. Um, and so for me, there's anxiety around when we come out of lockdown, actually having to deal with the world as it was, the meetings and the hustle and the bustle. Um, I've actually really enjoyed this time. Dr. Michelle Dickinson is an engineer, nanotechnologist, and a long-term friend of New Zealand's Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. Over the past couple of months, she's been working with the New Zealand government to educate children on the effects of COVID-19 and how it's spread. Michelle is originally from the UK, but works between here and New Zealand educating children about science. She usually does this under her alter ego, Nano Girl. Although she's known for her public speaking and television appearances, she identifies in her own words as a weird, socially awkward introvert. And yet, to see her on stage or on screen, she is the opposite. Michelle is dedicated to showing you do not need to be a loud extrovert in order to thrive and speak in public. In this episode, we discuss how she's used her introverted superpowers to cope during lockdown, while she helps to spread the message around COVID-19. Michelle Dickinson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. So you're currently in New Zealand with your husband, Joe. How are you both finding lockdown? Yeah, I am. I love isolation. So I'm in my favorite place. And although my husband is an extrovert, so it's like living with a bouncy ball right now. as He bounces off all the walls. (laughs) That's so funny. I think you really do see the difference in introvert, extrovert couples at the moment. Yeah, because me as an introvert, I'm having the best time. I don't have to see anybody. It's the perfect. I've got all my quiet time to read books. It's my favorite thing. And he is literally trying to clamber out of the house and just even talk to a passing cat that's going by the window. (laughs) Someone needs to make a reality TV series about this. Couples in lockdown together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're all doing it differently as in everybody's having a very different experience. And so when you say even the word lockdown to us, everybody is is interpreting that in a really different way. 
And you did a talk in 2015, a TED talk on being an introvert and how the world sort of geared up for extroverts normally. Do you reckon that lockdown sort of turns that upside down, that it's easier as an introvert? I don't know if I'm ready to go out to the real world anymore. I am, I, I'm in my space. This is how I would be happy every single day. Um, and so for me, there's anxiety around when we come out of lockdown, which is next week, actually having to deal with the world as it was, the meetings and the hustle and the bustle. Um, I've actually really enjoyed this time. That's so interesting to hear that experience of it. And you've obviously also been very busy because you've been working with the New Zealand government and Jacinda Ardern to put across the science behind COVID. Yeah, I feel really lucky. I mean, I'm I'm a British citizen at heart. You know, I'm from the UK. I chose to move to New Zealand 10 years ago. And it's really my family still in the UK, live in the UK. And so I've been able to watch both governments respond and respond very differently. And I've been in a really privileged position that Jacinda has asked me to help and use my talents as a science communicator to communicate to the public about what COVID is and, you know, help explain the science behind it and help people understand what our levels are. We have four alert levels in New Zealand and what they mean and where they're at. And so full lockdown is a level four and we're about to move into a level three, which is hopefully we're going to be allowed out a little bit more. Well, fingers crossed. If not for you, then certainly for the extroverts. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that when the lockdown comes out, we're going to see them all running out the doors and just high-fiving everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think your husband will have an easier time of it then? He's already planning all of the things that he's going to do and all the people he's going to see and all the parties and the, yeah, dinner's out. He's ready. He's got his list. Oh, and you, uh, you've known Jacinda Arden for a really long time, haven't you? Yeah, I've lived in New Zealand for 10 years, so I've known her probably for the majority of that. Um, She was a backbench MP. We're a similar age, you know, similar interests, um, people who are passionate about making change. So, yeah, she's um, I think she's a great leader in this crisis and really shown the world what great communication and great leadership and, you know, being strict, but actually showing the scientific evidence behind why we have to be strict um, has really helped the nation to pull together. Mm, yeah I think over here in the UK a lot of people are really impressed with how New Zealand and Jacinda Arden have dealt with it and obviously you've been really helping by communicating the science behind it to the public can you tell me a bit more about the work that you've been doing so when um when COVID sort of was first announced in the western media and people were talking about this this virus it became very clear that Actually, most of the public don't understand what a virus is, how it's spread, how it's different from bacteria, and what was different or unique about what we called a novel coronavirus, which we now know as COVID-19, but we weren't even naming at the time. And so she brought me in to do a simple communication. We did it in her local office. It was um, a Facebook, basically social media chat with her and her, the Prime Minister Science Advisor, Juliet Gerard, who I also know. And we just did a 30 minute two camera. What is it? How can you get it? How can you protect yourselves? What do we need to think about? And so that was our first comms piece. Um, And I do a lot of work with young people. And it became very clear to me that parents weren't talking to their children about COVID, partly because they didn't understand it themselves and partly because they were afraid and they didn't want their children to be afraid. Um, And so lots of children were coming to me saying, my parents are terrified, there must be something really bad going on. And then they were listening to children in the playground, which make it much worse. You know, the stories on the playground are never the stories in reality. And so I became quite concerned that actually our children weren't getting the information that they needed. And so Jacinda pulled together a press conference for children, which was delightful, and we communicated to children 
what the virus is and answered their questions about the virus, which were really, really great questions about can I, should I be worried about my pencil at school if I'm sharing it with a friend? And should I still have, hug my gran? And just great questions that kids ask. And we were able to sit with them for an hour as they sat two meters apart from each other in this big studio in Parliament. And it was fabulous. That's so great. I think that people are almost scared to be asking those silly questions at the moment, but actually they're kind of very important as well as the big political ones just on a practical level. I know that there was a press conference here when someone asked, you know, can people in relationships, you know, see each other if they're not living with one another? And, you know, actually those questions are so important to get asked. Yeah, and, you know, there's been lots of questions and I have felt really strange because I've suddenly become a YouTube video maker where I'm walking around the supermarket with a selfie stick, which is not my usual way of talking to the camera and just talking about, you know, the risks in the supermarket and what you need to think about and just realizing that these simple, practical day-by-day skills that we're all dealing with, and it's changing every day because the science research is changing every day. Actually, people just need an instruction manual to get through COVID. And so we do need the answers to very simple questions and we need them to be based on evidence as much as we have. And that evidence is changing every day. So some days we'll say masks, some days we won't. Some days we'll say your bubble can be big and you can have lots of people. And some days we'll say, actually, no, your bubble needs to be really small now. And so people need to um, get used to the fact that things are going to change as we learn more about the virus. What do you think your role is as an introvert when you're communicating these things? Um, so, look, I'm I'm a weird, socially awkward introvert who's quite happy sitting here on a podcast and much happier here on a Friday night as it is than I would be going out. It's luckily we're in lockdown. That's not my choice. Um, but I think um, I found as an introverted communicator, which is not a common thing, actually, and I've come to this space as a person who never wanted to speak in public and never wanted to raise my voice or have an opinion out loud, Um, I found that now I've chosen to do that and I've worked on skills to do that, that actually other introverts in the space that I also know, we we don't just we don't talk unless we have something to say and we don't talk unless we fully researched what we're going to say and and we know exactly in detail what it's going to be. And I think that's really helped in this. Because as a communicator, I'm not just talking about my opinion of the virus. I'm reading paper after paper and research after research to go, here is the evidence. This is what I think the advice is today. And this is what it's based on. And so, yeah, being a a science nerd means that I think being an introvert, I'm sweating the detail and then trying to make it really simple for everybody. So you don't have to read these incredibly boring and jargon filled papers. That's so interesting. And uh, would you say that Jacinda Arden is also an introvert? I don't, it's hard to say. I would say she, I wouldn't say she was a fully blown extrovert for sure. She's probably an ambivert, but you know, she's a, she's a gorgeous human who has fallen into leadership. I mean, our last election was crazy. There was no way she thought she was going to be leader. And 10 weeks in, she was put into lead a party that was struggling and then got the vote. And so she has really shone. What I love about her leadership is it's totally authentic and genuine. When she deals with a crisis, and we've had a few crises, sadly, in New Zealand. Everything you see is authentic. And I think that's what great leadership is. It's where you can truly see somebody wear their heart on their sleeve. And they really are doing this because they want to make positive change. And I'm not sure we see that in all of our leaders. I think some of our leaders are, are riding an ego wave, perhaps we should say. Um, I don't think that's happened. There's no ego with Jacinda. And do you think that elsewhere that 
sort of ego-driven leadership is causing a bit of a problem during this pandemic? I really think this, I'm seeing a blame game being flown around by some politicians where actually now is not a time to blame, now is a time to protect our people and and figure out what to do differently if it's not working right now. And, and sadly, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing that in all of our in all of our leaders around the world, which is pretty sad. And, and the data is showing, you know, where there hasn't been evidence based leadership or where the evidence was questionable. Um, we're seeing cases that are taking over. Um, and it's incredibly sad because these are people's lives. These are people's families. Would you say any particular leaders are <laughs> guilty of that? Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to look at America and, and see, you know, President Trump, who seems rather than admitting that things could have been different, there's definitely a blame there. And hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, it really is. But I think a great leader takes on their choices and says, these were my choices. This is why I made them. And maybe today we're going to do something different. What I think is brilliant, obviously, as an introvert, you find this time sort of restorative and you definitely see pluses in it. But you've also been working with psychologists to try and communicate the mental impact this might have on people. Because you know, obviously, for a lot of people, this is a really lonely or a really stressful experience. And you've put just as much importance on that. Yeah. So as a communicator, obviously, different levels of lockdown require different things to be thought about. So right at the beginning, we were all worried about the virus from a scientific point of view. How are we going to stay safe? How are we going to protect ourselves from getting infected? But now many of us are living on our own, totally isolated, and different challenges come into play here. And we need to talk about mental health. So I've been working um, with a psychologist about how we communicate the challenges now around isolation, especially for people who need people, especially for the extroverts in the world who actually get their energy from others. And those who are isolating alone um, really struggle with this. And so we have to remember that the virus is a killer, but mental health is a killer too. And so conversations around, it's not just social distancing, it's um, you've got to make sure that although you're physically distancing, you're still socially active. And that can be picking up the phone, having a, a wine over the internet with somebody or making sure you're still having conversations and interacting with others. Because now the, the danger is switching. We're going from a danger of a pandemic and an actual virus that can physically cause us harm to the danger of our minds which is what are our thoughts and how are we feeling and how are we dealing with stress or not dealing with stress as it may be. Can you tell me more about the effects of that, the implications of that from a mental health perspective? Yeah, so um, the work I've been doing with, with Dr. Saab Johal, who's the psychologist, has talked about it starts with them. Um, well, first of all, a lot of people are locked down with their children. And so there's no outlet for trying to balance a job maybe remotely and trying to full-time homeschool your ch or homeschool your children. And so those added pressures suddenly mean that you don't have a way to physically um, have an outlet for those and physically remove yourself from the space. And then obviously moving into, you know, maybe falling into a depression or not being able to bounce the reality off other people mean that you have a warped sense of, of the world. So if you're always online and, you know, Twitter, for example, is filled with trolls, if you start to take those things personally, you may now only have an online life in which this becomes your reality and you're not able to step away from the internet and people on it. 
and get a sense of what's actually going on in the real world versus what's going on in your internet bubble, which we know is not representative of the population. God, yeah, of course. I mean, as you know, anyone can go on Twitter, anyone can go on Facebook and spread misinformation, which I'm sure as a scientist drives you absolutely mad. It's challenging. And, and you know, I get a lot of abuse. I have just written an article about how 5G cannot possibly have spread COVID. And here are all the scientific reasons why. And as you can imagine, people who are fearful of 5G technology and, and don't understand how their phones work and don't understand the different types of radiation, um, of course, are fearful and, and want to let that fear out on me. And so it, it can be challenging when I, as a, as a nanotechnologist and somebody who understands the science of the invisible, which could be scary to many, which is radiation and also viruses um, and how they you know, how they interact or don't interact and their effect on us and our bodies. Um, yeah, it's a really challenging time. And, and you see things. The challenge is when you're fearful and when you're alone, it's easy to process things that you think, oh, here's an easy answer to. So conspiracy theories are great because something very complex is suddenly simplified in a way that you can understand with a bit of a story. And you're like, oh, it must be this. And therefore, I need to be afraid of certain things. So, yeah, I see a lot of what I call fake news or false science being spread on social media. And there's no way to, to tell. If you're not scientifically literate and you can't read some of these papers behind firewalls, there is no real place for you to go because if you Google it, you'll get the answer for anything that you Google to agree with whatever you say. That's interesting. So you're saying when you're scared and lonely, then you might be consuming those easier answers and just taking them unquestioningly. Yeah, I think people are just looking for, for resolve. People are like, this is scary. Oh, look, this is scary, but here's the answer. I'll believe this. And now it's it's in that box of, okay, I've processed that. I've put that in my box. I can move on to something else and I don't have to think about it anymore because it's complicated and, and science isn't. The thing about science is there's never a right or wrong answer. We always say there's a probability, there's a high probability. We never say 100% this must be it. Whereas as people, we always say yes or no. It's usually pretty black and white. Either this thing is or this thing isn't. And because we can never prove 100% that something isn't true, we can never say this 100% isn't true. And people who aren't in science interpret that to be, well, then there's a possibility and therefore it must be a big possibility and therefore it must be true. And so I think there's a lack of communication around how we as scientists interpret data and the words that we use. Um, but I think then when you're sitting at home by yourself on the internet trying to you know, figure out things that are scary and, and find an answer to it, it's very easy to find an answer that is beautifully presented, which many conspiracy theories are, and there's a YouTube video for it, which there are for many conspiracy theories, and there's a story behind it. And you know, we as scientists don't tell stories; we give you data, and it's never as interesting. Again, that sort of lends itself to extroverted people because they have less inhibitions of putting themselves out there, and they're happy to say whatever they think on social media without second guessing it perhaps and then that misinformation might be spread a bit more quickly rather than someone who's more hesitant and researched. Yeah pretty much and extroverts are likely to talk and make their own videos on the internet and, and proclaim that they know it all and be confident around that whereas I think you'll find an introvert probably wouldn't speak up unless they're highly knowledgeable and we tend to be conflict adverse too so we tend not to put ourselves in situations where we may have to defend ourselves on the fly because we'll want all of our evidence to back it up and we'll need to memorize all of these citations to journals. So we tend not to put ourselves in those spaces. So it feels like a very uneven argument 
because those in the room who do have the knowledge tend not to be the ones who are fighting. Do you think social media is often skewed that way? I, I yeah, I think it is because I mean, based. I can only base it on my experience of social media, but if I look at who is vocal around things and it's definitely, the introverts are not sitting on there typing away on Twitter, having massive arguments. We're sitting on there going, oh, that was interesting. And then going away and reading about the data and not sharing it with everybody else. So as an introvert, you're quite enjoying lockdown life and you've found it, yeah, quite like a refreshing change from your day-to-day life. Do you think that there are reasons why introverts might, face their own challenges right now and be finding it difficult look and I think introversion means that you know in large spaces and lots of people tend to drain us but it doesn't mean we don't like people there will be lots of introverts who are craving contact and craving conversation in the same way that the extroverts are Um, I think everybody has the potential to feel very alone and very lonely in these lockdown situations and find it hard to ask for help because you don't want to seem weak. You don't want to feel oh, these are first world problems. You know, oh, I'm alone or oh, I'm a bit lonely. I shouldn't bother people because I don't want to. But actually, there's a human need, I think, to connect and communicate. And whether you're introverted or extroverted, I think that need is is very much there. Um, and I think introverts are probably struggling just as much as extroverts. And the opposite may be true. If you're in a busy house with lots of children and chaos, you might also, as an introvert, just be seeking your solidarity in your space somewhere in a in a home that you can't find it. I, I find it really reassuring that as a scientist, you're still stressing, you know, it's so important to look after your mental health because... I think that, you know, there's a tendency to think that it's a less important issue at the moment. Obviously, you know, we're hearing such horrifying uh, statistics about, you know, the the cases rates and the death rates. And I think it's, it's really tempting to think, you know, it's a first world problem. You can just sit on your sofa and sit this thing out. But, you know, what, what you're saying is even though you obviously come from a science first background, you still put so much importance on the mental health aspect of all this. And I think that's probably really helpful to a lot of people that you can stress that and sort of assert it's as much of a priority. And your podcast is probably a lifesaver potentially for many, because as you talk about your struggles and we all talk about our challenges, it normalizes it because everybody thinks, oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm overreacting. I have a warm home. I have a safe space. Why am I complaining? And I think, you know, people are sitting into podcasts, just trying to sit in somebody else's shoes and listen and be in somebody else's living room. We're all in your living room right now with you. And, you know, just being able to go, okay, I feel like this too. And now I know it's okay to feel like this. It's not just me, especially if you're living with somebody who is different to you in the way that they process the world, then maybe you feel quite isolated even when yourself because your feelings may just feel like they're your feelings. And and this is where these these conversations become really important because everybody's going to have feelings and they're all going to be different and it's okay. Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you. Yes, I think a really wonderful part of this is that we are having more honest conversations about how we feel. And I think that's really important. And I hope that goes, I hope that happens more long-term um, from the mental health perspective. Um, so in your day-to-day life, you've spoken about how you're an introvert living in a extrovert's world. Could you tell me a bit more about that, how you've learned to be a really public-facing figure, even though that's not naturally how you would tend to be? Yeah, so I was a happy introvert, just doing my introverted things, not talking to anybody, not being noticed. 
Um, I was a nanotechnologist, so I study really tiny things. And um, and I got approached to do a, a TEDx talk about nanotechnology. And I was like, no way, Jose, because <laughs> it's not my it's not my space to talk in public. I couldn't imagine talking in front of a crowd. And um, anyway, long story short, I ended up being ripped into doing it and didn't know how to even talk in public. Like I was so I had so much stage fright. And so I went to an acting coach and I said, I've got to give this talk in three months. I'm petrified. It's going to be terrible. It's it's just going to be a disaster. What should I do? And she said to me, do you know that most actors are introverts? She says the way that actors do what they do is they're pretending to be somebody else, somebody who is not them. And she said, so what I need you to do is develop a character, somebody who you would love to be, make your own superhero, and we'll teach you how to perform that character on stage. And I was like, okay. She's like, because then nobody's judging you. You're just performing somebody else. And so we did all of this acting coaching, which was incredible. And I created this character called Nano Girl because I'm a nanotechnologist and she was going to be my superhero. Um, and she's my alter ego who is confident and loves talking and is highly extroverted. And, um, and I gave my TED Talk um, on stage as Nano Girl. And apparently people liked it <laughs> and it went really well and I was and it was in front of the largest ever TEDx audience which was 2,800 people I think and it was crazy and people came to me and said I really really enjoyed your talk and I wish more people like you would talk like this because we don't hear these stories of science we don't hear about what's going on in these fields and I got so much positive feedback I thought wow Here's a new skill that I learned. I don't like it. I'm not, I don't like being on the stage. It's not my comfortable place. But it's something that I can work on and maybe help to communicate parts of science that aren't being communicated very well right now. So yeah, I've spent several years figuring out how to work on this skill set to help communicate what I think is fascinating about the world and its tiny pieces and how it all is put together. Um, and hopefully able to share those stories now in a way that I can survive. Because as an introvert, talking on stage is exhausting. It's it physically exhausting. And the expectations of you after it are exhausting because people expect you to then mingle with the crowd and go to the after party and all of the things that literally suck my soul. Um, and so I've learned over the years to be able to do that in a way with my rules and say to a conference organizer, hey, I'll give a talk, but at the end, I'm going to stay at your after party for five minutes and then I'm leaving and I'm going to my quiet hotel room. And uh, putting those rules up front have been really helpful for me. And how do you feel beforehand? Terrible, terrible. I did a I did a talk that's just on YouTube called How to Rock the Stage, where I co-presented a talk with an extrovert who's also a technologist. And the reason why I did that is because we both gave a keynote talk for Microsoft and we were in the green room together and I watched him and he did jumping jacks and he drank beer and it, he was like amping himself up. And I found a curtain in the theater that was a big black thick velvet curtain that was soundproof. And I wrapped myself in this curtain so I could be in silence and in a dark space. And that's how I prepped for it. I just wanted to calm myself down and he was doing these push-ups. And it made me realize that on stage, you would never have known that our process to get here was so different and that he was energized and he was getting everything from the audience. And I had to bring myself down and center myself to be calm, to be able to survive it. And that's when I realized that you can, you do what you need to do to get there. And actually, I don't think people have coached introverts on what they need to do. Most people who coach public speaking are extroverts. 
for whom this is their natural space. And the advice that they can give about amp yourself up and get all energetic is literally the opposite to what I need. And so I wanted to offer a voice to say, hey, I'm an introvert and I do this and this is this is what I do. So number one, I've learned I don't eat before I give a talk. I learned that the hard way because my stage fright is so terrible that I once threw up on the way to the stage, which was never a good look. So <laughs> I have some rules and some things that I do. I listen to calming music. I bring my heart rate down. And I know that extroverts and other people may do the opposite as they get lots of energy from it. So I think figuring out what works for you and practicing that has been a big journey for me. Does it get any easier? I think it gets easier once you set the rules for yourself. So I'm pretty strict. I don't talk about things that I don't know about. I don't give a talk on the fly. I need time to prepare. Um, I don't eat before. I, you know, I have some pretty strict rules about what I do. And then afterwards, I have self-care. So I don't stay for long after parties afterwards. I, you know, make sure that what's needed of me is is restricted in how many people I have to see and what I have to do. And I think setting those rules allows me not to be stressed about it and work within my my body's system of it's a physical response for me so work within my body system of what it can cope with and what it can keep doing numerous times a month if I need to so that it's sustainable. What sort of other things do you do in your day-to-day life that you find difficult being an introvert? So the big thing I struggle with as an introvert is um is meetings. So I um, have worked in the high tech sector in America and then I became an academic and worked at a university and meetings for me were usually where extroverts speak a lot and introverts sit and process what's going on. And what I really struggled with was when decisions were made in meetings, because I, as an, ext- as an introvert, can't just make a decision. I need data. I need to think about it. I need 24 hours. And also, if there's no agenda for the meeting, I can't go in with any knowledge beforehand to be able to contribute. And I found it really challenging in, in corporate and in university where we would have a meeting, everybody would brainstorm, and then we'd leave with a decision. And I'd be like, oh, I, don't, I haven't had time to even think about what the options are, never mind a decision. And usually it was the loudest person in the room who made a decision. Everybody just follows them because they were loud and confident. And then further down the line, I found that there were lots of people like me who were also going 24 hours later, oh, I think that's totally the wrong decision because we've gone into our data set and we've gone, no, 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 no. Although it sounds right, if you look at the data, this is what we should be doing. And we never spoke up about it because the decision had been made and we knew we didn't want to go into conflict. And so since I left the university and I set up my own business, um, I was very clear that it was going to be an introvert friendly business. <laughs> so I've set some really strong rules. Um, and I, my co-founder is my husband, who is an extrovert. And he was like, what are these rules for? And I'm like, well, if you want the best from people, you have to be able to set meetings that bring the best for people. And so we have a very different um, organization here of how we run meetings. And, and it's been great for my husband to see wow, you can really bring out great ideas if you just give people time to process and if you allow them to communicate in ways that work for them. So that may not be verbally. That may be 24 hours later with an email saying, hey, I've looked at this. I took this data from the meeting and here's what I think is best and here is why. So your husband, Joe, is an extrovert and from what you're saying, he's about as extroverted as you can get. Like I definitely (laughs) recognize him as one of my own there. was it a conscious decision to marry someone who was so different from yourself in that he's quite an extreme 
extroverts or do you think it was more about the person? Do you know, I look at a lot of relationships and there, there's an introvert extrovert match. It just seems like you, you look, you seek for the things that you don't have. So to me, when I met him, he was brash and confident and could hold a room and all the things I was like, wow, I can't do any of those things. Those are great skills. Um, and I do see that matching a lot. And then, you know, the first couple of years of dating, we, we really rubbed against each other because he just wanted to go out and party every night and be in noisy bars. And I just wanted to be at home and read a book. Um, so the first two years of our relationship were challenging as we were trying to please each other. Um, and actually now we have a great relationship because he knows that I am leaving at 9.30 and there's no offense taken and he's going to go party till three and there's no offense taken. And I go home and I snuggle with my book and he stays out and has the best time. And the next day we both have great stories to tell. I think that sounds really healthy. You know, when I talk about my alonement concept, people often think it's about being single, um, which, you know, is part of it. But I think it's really important to work out how you're going to negotiate your alone time in a relationship. And so it's sort of equally applicable. And it sounds like you've done that in a really good way, although interesting, it took a couple of years to get there. It wasn't well at all at the beginning because, you know, I, I felt like the norm is to go out and party. Surely that's what everybody does. And I had to become confident in myself to say, actually, this isn't what I want from my life. And if we're, if we're married, I have to figure out what works for me. And otherwise I'd party all weekend, be exhausted and useless on Monday. Um, and so I, I had to build the confidence to say, I, I'm not enjoying this. I don't, I'm not having fun. This is not how I need to relax. Um, and my husband was, I mean, the first few nights when I left at nine and he, he was like by himself, you know, I think it was really hard for him. Everybody's like, where's your wife? Da, da, da. Have you had a row? Blah, blah, blah. And now they know us. So like, oh, she's just getting what she needs. And now they love it. They're like, it's so nice that Michelle can just get what she needs and joke and get what he needs. And there's no, there's no bitterness about it, but it, it really does take both parties being able to say, this is what I need from this relationship. And this is what I need in life. And I love you very much. But actually, I have to think about me for me to be the best for you. Yeah, you know, what? I'm so on board with that because I think people really like to speculate, don't they? They like to say, oh, that couple's left a party separately or they're going on holiday separately. So that must mean they're in trouble. But for you, it really is a sign that you're respecting each other's needs. And, you know, it's a sign of strength. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Every marriage, every relationship is going to be different. You're going to need different things, but you can't forget who you are and what you need in one if you're going to give your best self to the other. Yes. So uh, when it came to your wedding, I know that you came to quite an interesting compromise there. Oh, wedding. Yes. So we got married in a day. Um, it was about 10 hours from I do to I do. Um and so my husband, who has always, always wanted to get married, always believed in the traditional, let's do this thing officially. And me, who hasn't believed in marriage and just been like, we're great. Why would we do this? Um, he asked me again and again. And I did this thing where every time I knew he had a ring because I cleaned the house. And so I found it a long time ago. And so and so I had this engagement dar go off when, you know, and he would he plan he tried to propose probably seven times in the most spectacular places in the world. And every time I got this, like my little radar went off, I'm like, oh no, it's coming. And I'd run away and I'd go missing for a day. Um, and so he realized eventually after years of trying that um, that it wasn't going to happen the way he thought it should happen, which is a big fuss and a big engagement party and all of this. And so um, he said to me, he said, hey, he said, 
we should just get married. And it was really low key at home. And I said, yeah, I said, I'll tell you what, if you can get married, if we can get married today, I'll do it. <laughs> he was like, I'm on it. And so I went to work and he spent the whole day pulling together this wedding. It was incredible. He texted everybody. We had 38 guests. Um, in fact, the only guest who couldn't make it was Jacinda because she was flying to Parliament because that was the day that she has to go down to Wellington. Um, and we we were married in literally, I finished work at 5.30. I went to the venue. My husband had found all the white clothing that I own and put it in the back of a car. I got changed in the underground car park and arrived at my wedding at 6 and we were married by 6.10 and it was delightful. <laughs> Aww. I bet Jacinda Arden was really upset she had to miss your wedding. Oh, no, she told, she apologised, you know, but we only gave our guests two hours notice, so I couldn't expect <laughs> her to, to do that. Um, yes, yes, so we'll let her off. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's one of those things where you actually bring together all the people who are important to you. It was a Monday. We texted everybody at Monday at four o'clock. Nobody's going to do anything on a Monday night. It's fine. Just come on over after work. Um, and it had all the people that we loved in it, and it took all the pressure of, you know, organizing a wedding and who do you invite and who sits next to who. And the I didn't want a party. I didn't want, you know, the big fuss and the music and all of those. That's it, not my style. We had a really lovely, quiet wedding with people that we loved. And it was done in a day. And it showed the importance to us of being around family and being around people that we love and showing our love to each other there and not needing to suddenly invite Aunt Maggie, who you've never met really, um, to a wedding because you feel guilty about it. Yeah, that sounds like a definite plus. And how long had you been together when you got married? Oh, several years, many years. Um, we um, we <laughs> we're not only um, we're not only introvert and extrovert, but we're also um, opposite party voters. So we have a party neutral household, we call it. Um, and so we had a couple of years of initial dating where all we did was fight because we are very opposed to each other's political opinions. So introvert, extrovert, different political values. What is it that keeps you together? Yeah, so um, I think our, our values are aligned. We both, we both want to work our lives towards making positive change in the world and making positive differences for people. We've both always wanted to make positive change. And I think that combined you as people. And so we have to have some rules. And one of our rules is you don't fight to win. It's okay to argue your case, but don't fight to win because you're never going to win if you try and take down your partner. And so, uh, and it's really interesting. It's a fascinating relationship because I now hear points of view that I, in my circle of friends who are very similar to me, I just never hear. I don't hear that side of, of the argument. And if you don't hear the other side of the argument, you sit there wondering how other people can have all of these opinions. But actually, I, I totally get to hear that side now and get to empathize with a different worldview and where that might have come from. Do you think in a different world, you could have ended up with an introvert? Uh, I, yeah, well, I, do you know, I looked at my past relationships and I've probably always been attracted to extroverts. I think I've always been attracted to that yang, to the yin, the, the thing that I wished I had, you know, because it looks more attractive. I think we're often attracted to our opposites. But I think I could have dated an introvert and we'd have been quite boringly reading at home all day, every day, and I probably would have made no new friends. <laughs> do you think this time is going to make us more empathetic about the difference between introverts and extroverts and how we get our energy? Do you think it's going to create a cultural shift? Look, I think the worry that I have around COVID is people are going to be afraid of each other for a while. And I think that's a real challenge for those who are extroverted, who, who get their love from physical touch 
from those hugs with your friends, from those handshakes with the business partners. I think the world is actually going to resist physical contact for a little while as we try and resist the the second wave or the third wave of the virus spreading. And I think that lack of physical contact for many is actually going to be a real challenge. I think some people just need that in their lives. And as we navigate what is a safe world for each of us individually, I really worry that we start to really isolate ourselves from each other still as we come out of our lockdown and we figure out what this new normal looks like. And I think we need to set some new rules around physical touch and what people need and when they can take it and when they can't and who from, because we used to be a very touchy society. We used to shake hands in every meeting. We used to hug our friends. Um, I worry that that is going to change and there's a big piece that's going to be missing if we stop giving people hugs. So you think that we're going to stop greeting each other in the same way? We're going to drop those customs like shaking hands and in parts of Europe, you know, kissing each other on both cheeks when we meet up? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely going to change, at least initially as we come out of lockdown and people are still very sensitive to touch and being close to people. Um, and I worry that even come out of lockdown, that physical separation from each other, as we don't know how to behave, is going to be hard for people who want to just climb back in and hug everybody and and go back to the normal. Um, So I think we need to worry about this period coming out of lockdown and how we all cope and what our expectations are versus what other people are actually going to behave around us like. And how about more positive changes? Do you think that perhaps we might be more empathetic towards introverts now that we've all sort of learnt to do a bit more alone time? I would love to hope so. I I think we need to probably stick up for ourselves a little bit more too. We're not very good at at talking about our needs and, and, you know, we just putter on and get on with it. So um, I don't know if people will appreciate us more. Maybe. I'd hope so. I think people will appreciate a sense of what it means to be alone, what it means to have people and how we actually really need people in our lives Um, I think, yeah, I think this separation will actually make us appreciate our relationships with others more. That's friendships and, you know, husband, wife, partner relationships as well. And and I think hopefully people will connect more with their families. I see a lot of, you know, I'm having to Skype my family every day who live on the opposite side of the world for me. And I'm seeing a lot of relationships between siblings start to change and mature. So brothers and sisters at home who used to scrap all the time and now having to learn the hard way to tolerate each other and so yeah I'm, I'm hoping for a positive future I'm hoping that this is a time where we realize what's important and this is a time where the world has had to stop and just take stock and hopefully realize that we're living in a place where we don't have to drive everywhere and we don't have to buy everything every day and actually we can figure out where our local groceries come from and who makes them and some of these stories so I'm positive about the world, but I think we're going to have a bit of a blip in the middle as we come out. We try and adjust to what new normal is. Thank you, Michelle. This has been such an interesting conversation and I'm really grateful for you taking the time out of your busy scientific work to talk to me today. Thank you for inviting me to your living room. Thank you for tuning in to the Enlonement Podcast and thanks to my guest, Dr. Michelle Dickinson, who is so engaging and really makes you think about the unique and special differences between introverts and extroverts. If you've listened to this on Apple podcasts i'd hugely appreciate it if you'd leave a quick review this really helps for other people to find us and benefit from the podcast join me next friday for a brand new episode until next time Hi. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.